HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. Thanks again so much for tuning in. I am your host, Mitchell Shirk, and I really appreciate you coming in. I'd like to say that I got my co-host back, but, man, I am still all by my lonesome. I I just went with the family a couple nights ago. We went and watched that new Elvis movie that came out in theaters uh, a bunch of my family are Elvis fans, and I'm not going to lie, I, I like the man. I mean, I think he's a fantastic musician. I love some of his music. I was a kid. I was singing it up and cutting a rug, man. But anyway, uh, I, uh, I went and listened to that, and every time I, I hear that song, Are you lonesome tonight? I just think, man, that's me and the story of my podcast. And Robbie is just all over the place and I'm trying to coordinate it and get him back on track. So, you know, Robbie went through getting ready for the wedding, had the wedding. He had, uh, uh he had his honeymoon and then he, they, they bought a house and closed on that house and we're working on it and doing this and moving in. And he's just been all over the place. So uh, I give him a break, uh, cause, uh, he's a good dude and he'll be back on, he'll be our, our regular co-host here coming up soon but for now it's just me i'm riding solo and on this week's episode i had a conversation with uh, somebody that i connected through on instagram and that would be the, the handle pa plotters and the man behind that is mike and i'm gonna mike if i butcher your last name i mean i, I apologize but mike daquilante is is I believe how you pronounce his name, but he's a, he's a he's a guy from Western Pennsylvania who takes us a little bit on a journey of owning property and <clears throat> transforming the property to something that is positive for conservation. And you know, Mike is somebody that loves the outdoors, loves hunting, and I know he's got some strategy in that brain of his when he's going hunting. But man, he just loves to see the landscape for what it is and try to make it better whether that's taking invasives out of the question whether that's getting in his equipment and planting food plots i know he has an infatuation with farming you know i've had some farming talk uh, conversations with him i know he loves equipment and i mean let's face it who doesn't love equipment it's just most of us don't have the capabilities of getting our hands on that equipment to use it or or use big equipment but um, some of us do or or when you get the opportunity you want to but you know he's got some some equipment he's he's continually built up his uh, arsenal of equipment to just make his property as attractive as possible and the thing I love the most about our conversation is when he talks about sharing it with people talks about sharing it with neighbors and you know when you own property anybody who owns property knows this it 
doesn't take long until people start asking you, hey, can I come out and go hunting? And, and oh, I'll, I'll come help you do this. I'll come help you do that. And some people do, but a lot don't. And a lot won't show up for the hard times. And Mike kind of shares that with us. You know, he experienced that to some degree. And uh, he, you know, definitely lets his property open to some of his friends and stuff like that. But, you know, he, he has a way of going about it where he's, open but he doesn't let it become over overrun with people i mean that's a tough that's a tough thing to kind of manage but the big thing is he loves to get youth out and he he shares a story taking uh taking somebody out and getting their first turkey on his property i know he's had some fantastic experiences as his son has grown up and had some great hunting experiences and he's seen a lot of positive things so it's just it's it's an all-around just conservation minded scratch the surface on everything type conversation with a bunch of people who are just infatuated with habitats food plots and wildlife and i think that's probably the best way to let you into this conversation real quick before we do got to do our housekeeping here and i'm going to give our shout out to little mountain outfitters Guys, Little Mountain Outfitters, I keep saying it over and over again, Richland, Pennsylvania, fantastic bow shop. They've become my bow shop. I go to regularly whenever I need new equipment. I just got set up and tuned with the, the bows. I have two bows that I shoot. I got them tuned up. I got arrows purchased, cut, inserts glued. I fletch my own arrows, but they got me hooked up with all that that I needed. And if you are looking to upgrade to a Matthews, a Prime, a PSC, a Bear, maybe a new crossbow, uh, maybe you want to get into some saddle hunting gear, anything in that realm, you got it. They have got you covered. And what's great about there is like you can go into their shop and they've got a bunch of the, the different saddles set up. I think he, I believe he's got tethered and trophy line, but he might have a couple other pieces there. But you have the ability to try them on, stand on some platforms, and get a feel for them before you purchase something. That's not that's not something everybody gets to do, uh, at least not with driving a, a pretty good ways. And if you're close by or you want to make the trip down, get set up, test those out, and they also got the line of real world wildlife products. Uh, we got a conversation today with Mike talking about food plots. We're going to have another conversation in the following weeks preparing and and talking a little bit more in-depth high strategy food plots. And uh, this is uh, a great resource for you to buy food plot seed and get rolling because the wind is here. I mean, watch the weather and get it done, but uh, they can help you out there. Richland, Pennsylvania, Little Mountain Outfitters. Be sure to check them out, guys. They are a quality, quality shop with excellent customer service. Devon, he is the man. Terry, he is the man. Those guys are doing great work, and they're they're awesome. So, hey, with all that said, let's get to this episode. All right, we are live, and I have a great guest with me tonight, somebody who I will probably butcher their last name when I try to say it, but I'm going to do my best and try to do it anyway. Mike Dacuilante. Did I say that right? Perfect. Perfect. Man, oh, man. We didn't even rehearse that. A blind fox gets a mouse every now and then. (laughs) 
So, Mike. That's true. Mike, how are we holding up? I uh, I understand that we've had a little bit of a setback in your life here recently. Tell us about it. So we were, uh, my wife was went to Florida with my daughter. So me and my son had a fire, and there was his boss and her husband was were here. So I walked over to the weeds and to relieve myself, and there happened to be a groundhog hole down in there. And next thing I know, I'm laying on my back and. I can't stand back up. So <laughs> it's always the simplest uh, things that get you. It, it is. So uh, a plate and nine screws later, and six weeks, I'm just learning to walk again. Uh, oh, that's got to be. Agonizing. It hasn't been. And it's my right foot, so I couldn't drive to work. I had to get a ride. Uh, you know, the little things, the simple things, even getting getting a shower were, you know, it was difficult. So. Everything becomes a chore, and then you put more stress on you for the, the stuff that you want to get done, and you just can't. It came to the point where we were doing, uh, we were fixing the road. I bought a couple pieces of equipment, um, and my son's driving a tractor. And by the end, because no one does it, you know, you're kind of a perfectionist. So at the end of the five minutes, we started breaking the road. And I was yelling and waving my arms and just park it in the barn, just put it back in the barn. So <laughs> you just got to try to just take a breath and let them, you know, let them do it. And <laughs> you're going to learn from your mistakes and, and move on. It's so. a great way to, uh, it's a great way to share and it forces somebody into the next position. That's kind of what we're going to talk about. We didn't really talk about that, but we'll, uh, we'll dive into your, uh, absolute fascination with working with the land and food plot manipulation. And, you know, we'll probably brainstorm back and forth on some fall food plot ideas. But before we get into that, I mean, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do for a living. So I, uh, I'm from Armstrong County, Pennsylvania, born and raised in Armstrong County. And I work in the oil and gas industry. Um, we actually we shoot explosives down in the, in the gas wells and so they can frack into those holes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is that pretty, uh, pretty time strenuous, uh, job that you have there or like what kind of, uh, what kind of time availability and freedoms do you get with that? I'm thinking more along the lines of hunting season. Is that a job that you'd say, Hey, this is a great job if you're going to be a hunter. No, well, the oil and gas field. So we're, I'm the president of the company, so I'm kind of out of this uh, conversation at this point. But our guys work two weeks on, one week off. So if their week off falls on hunting season, then it's perfect. But, uh, you know, oil and gas industry, they work right through Christmas, any holiday. There's no, uh, there's no scheduled holiday off anymore. Gotcha. Yeah, it's probably one of those things that's demanding when the when the time comes. So, so tell me a little bit of you know we connected through Instagram. We were talking uh, back and forth a lot about food plots and just our interest in tinkering with stuff. So, I understand you have a have a pretty nice farm out there in your in your hometown. There, tell me a little bit about it. So, I have 130 acres. Uh, originally bought 95, and then I bought the other half that borders me later on. But it was originally a Christmas tree lease when I bought it in 2006, uh, 10 acres is agricultural farm field that the, that the farmer neighbor farmer leases from me. Uh, but the rest of it was anything that was flat, even the hills were Christmas trees. Okay. So, and it was ba basically, 
uh, you know, it was not pretty much anybody and, and anyone would come up and dump trash, uh, you know, hunt anybody, you know, do anything up here. It was like a free for all until I, I ended up buying it in 2006. Okay. Um, and then, and then once the lease was, the Christmas tree lease was up, I kept certain sections, um, just for like a bedding area. You know, travel corridors and, and there's roads all through this 130 acres. So it's little patches. So you know which you got a box blind set up. Them deer will, will run from patch to patch, you know, circle on the property. So you kind of, you get the idea which way they're going to be traveling, uh, year, every year. You know, once they get started getting pushed by the neighbors, rifle season. Certainly, certainly. And, uh, I want to take it back a little bit more. So, you know, I, I'm kind of curious about your roots when it comes to hunting. And uh, I'm assuming that your roots is what led you to buying a property that you wanted to, you know, manipulate and do things for for hunting. Is that correct? Well, uh, you know, like any typical Pennsylvania, you know, you grew up, you couldn't hunt till you were 12 back then. So that was uh, that was a change. Until I got married, uh, and then, you know, the property was was right down the road. It's not actually even where I live. I'm, I'm a quarter of a mile away from this, from my property, which I'd love to build a house. But, you know, the prices of everything are just, just never worked out mm-hmm. yet. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, ne- growing up, never really had no experience other than playing in the woods. You didn't really have any farming experience other than maybe a garden. Uh, as a, you know, I have three quarters of an acre at my house. So I never really grew up on a farm, uh, or had any kind of experience to, uh, you know, no one to teach me right, right and wrong way to do things. Gotcha. So you're, uh, you're kind of like a lot of people where you've got a fascination with nature. You've got a fascination with creation. Um, probably a pretty good passion in hunting, fishing, trapping, and things like that. And I I always find it interesting, you know, you you can go back and forth between two sides of the hunting group of people. And you'll you'll find those who are, you know, like you and and myself, where there's just a passion about being out, working on the land, manipulating things, learning about parts of creation and how they, they work together. And it seems like, though, there's almost a straight line separation in some of the our hunting community where um, that certain part of the year and that certain part of the connection with wildlife is just not – it's not as firsthand nature. And it's all about the strategy and, you know, as minimal inputs other than your hunting strategy. And, and there's like a, a disconnect in that – biology so i guess i'm curious what makes you gravitate towards wanting to work with the land and wanting to manipulate things because there's definitely a difference there um what what draws you to i guess that that connection of of manipulating things uh, you know you just want so you basically you own the property you in your mind you own it it's yours you know you can you know, stick your hands in that dirt and just smell it. And to me, it, it's it's hard to explain. And, and it's just a passion that um, I could spend every waking minute here on this. If I didn't have to have a job to afford it, every waking minute and be doing something. 
And this is the never ending story because I will never finish, um, what I'm started, what I've started here. My kids will probably never finish, you know, in my vision compared to, I'm hoping to pass it down to my kids. Uh, my vision compared to their vision, it could be 180 degree difference. Mm. Uh, but, but I don't, it's, it's something that you could stand back and whether you're spraying invasives and you come back and you see that they're all wilted and dead and you just smile and you see natives growing beside them at that point and you know you're doing a good thing in your mind you know that you're improving habitat you're improving food for wildlife and birds and it's not just about deer it's about birds and bees and butterflies and everything that's what it's all about let's dig in a little bit more to that vision so you know, whenever you look at a Facebook page, an Instagram page, or, you know, a YouTube channel, and you see people talking about, you know, maybe they're talking about hinge cutting, or they're talking about killing invasives, or planting a food plot and soil health, you know, that's all one very, very specific thing. And uh, I think it can get lost in the weeds of why you do something like that, because at the end of the day, you're doing that to reach a specific goal. So I'm kind of curious, if you bought your property in the mid-90s and then into 2006, I think you said you bought the other half, you know, as you went through that progression started, tell me what was your goal and your vision at that time when you purchased that property? <laughs> I, you know, that's I, I really don't know. When I bought this place, I'm like, okay, now I own I own land. And then all of a sudden you get the neighbor guys like, Oh, you know, hey, I'll help you do this. And then you're overwhelmed. You, you know, I wish I would have started out with maybe 20 acres, not 130 acres, uh, that you can actually put your hands around and say, okay, I'm going to manipulate this. With 130 acres, like I said, you will never be done. So you have to, uh, you know, take it by chunks. And the best thing that I ever did was get a uh, management plan done, a forest forest management plan done you get a consultant in you pay him some money there's there's some um relief on on getting a consultant with the nrcs um, but just having people with knowledge coming out because i planted a lot of trees when i first bought the place and um, you start walking through and okay they're nipped dip, nip 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 um, this one's dead and then you know now it's like, why did I ever plant these there? That was the stupidest thing I ever did. So learning from your mistakes, knowledge, uh, getting as much knowledge as possible through government agencies. That's what they're. That's why our taxpayers pay them. You know, that's why they're there to help you. Yeah. So you know, obviously very overwhelmed because it, it is overwhelming. Uh, that size of land. You know, if you have a game plan and you have the. Uh the manpower to take hold of that, you know, you can make faster advances than if you do it by yourself. Um, I'm sure as mm-hmm. time progressed and, you know, you start, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of starting to flirt into some of the, the details I'd like to pick your brain about. You're kind of flirting around the ideas of planting trees or cutting this or mowing that. And, and as you started to get your hands dirty and started to maybe expand on that, what, what did you see kind of transform um, as you're looking at that property? You had to finally, you know, snap your fingers and say, you know, I really want to try to accomplish this because of this. <laughs> you're, you're making me think of stuff that, like, it 
to me anymore, it just clicks. You know, when you can, um, you work a, like a Saturday and you start at eight o'clock in the morning and the dew's still under the grass and you, and you work till five or six o'clock in the evening and it's like, okay, I got one little thing done, but you stand back and you smile. And every time you drive past that, you smile. Mm. So uh, there again, I, I might be just totally like circling around your question, but it's just something inside of you that, you know, this, this is mine. You know, I, I, I absolutely, you know, you, you just, you want the best and you're trying to improve it every day you come up here. Sure. You know, and I, I just don't really know how to answer some of these questions because to me it's, it's, it's inside and, you know, uh, we just, we followed the one guy, um, Durham, I believe, and he had that quote. Um, he was on the podcast. It's not ours; it's just our turn. And to me, that hit home because you know, everything that we're doing today goes to the next generation or somebody down the line. Mm. So, if uh, you know, if we're going to stand back from that broad sen- from that sense and, and stay on that, uh, going down that track, uh, when you stand back and you you look at your property and you look at it, you know, hate, hate thinking in it from this scope, but let's go down this avenue. If you stand back at the end of your time working on your property, you look back, what do you want to say that, you know, I left this here and, and did this? Like what, I guess, what do you think in your mind would be like, almost like your legacy of leaving behind on that 130 acres? Um, you know, that it was, you know, deep, rich soil. You know, you wish that it, everything was, uh, like perfect. No invasives. You tackle invasives and every time you turn around, there's another invasive, you know, uh, stilt grass or, uh, we have buckthorn out here, monoflorin rose and it's everywhere. And, you know, even in those patches of pines that I, that I let go, you know, and there's honeysuckle growing in there and you got to get in there and it's thick. Uh, you just, you would want that all to disappear and just be picture perfect, but knowing that it, it never will be. But, uh, you know, you just want the best for, uh, trying to get rid of the hard stuff, I should say. Uh, right. Man, that's, you're asking me some tough questions here that I take for granted every day. <laughs> you know, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it so, kind of gives us uh, – I try to put perspective into everything, and I love to get everybody else's perspective because it gives me a horizon. So, well, if I'm giving such hard questions, then I'll, I'll back up the train a little bit, and we'll, we'll start with an easy one. So tell me a little bit about what your hunting experiences have been like there for the past how many decades? Uh, well, whenever I, I first bought this place, and, uh, you know, and then, of course, the neighbor came to help me, and it's like, okay, well, you know, this is, we're, granted, we're from Pennsylvania too, so most people from Pennsylvania will understand this. You don't shoot does. We're not going to shoot any does this year. You know, we're not. And, uh, well, that was a mistake because that's, that following spring, the farmer's fields were polluted with deer. Mm. And then the first thing he does, he red tags. So then we started shooting does. So every year we, we try to, to keep the herd, you know, Granted, you know, it's Pennsylvania and the, the property, 130 acres isn't big, you know, compared in the big scheme of things, but we try to shoot, um, a good number of deer, you know, especially does, but, uh, buck wise, you know, decent, you know, decent Pennsylvania deer. 
um, you know, typical eight points. You know, you occasionally you always get that one big buck that everybody in the neighborhood knows about, and uh, you know everybody's after them. And everybody thinks that since you have food plots and you got you do a little thing that every deer is hiding on your property, which you know they'll try every method to hunt the the property lines or sneak in and drive it out. And it's like really, it's they're, they're moving. They're not going to stay here, so. It, it's, it seems to get better, and then with the QDMA, so I'm president of our local chapter of our West Central PA chapter branch, and um, so education through that, letting them go another year, you know, trying to shoot that three and a half. If you could get a four and a half year old Pennsylvania deer, he's going to be a monster. Sure. Yeah. So trying to get a little bit of age on him. Um, Letting them eat, you'll see them. Um, you'll see some in the farmer's fields, which we did on the way up here tonight. We're sitting. We just hooked the grain drill up for tomorrow. My son just got in the truck, so yep. um, you know, seeing the deer out in the fields eating. You know, typically we always shoot enough deer because the farmer told me one year he's like, whatever you're doing, you just keep on doing. So nothing is red tagged anymore. We shoot enough deer off. He's not seeing a ton. Of course, you're, you're always going to get deer browse, dam, deer damage, but we're shooting enough deer off. He's not, he doesn't have to red tag it. So whether that's us shooting them, bringing somebody in, bringing the youth in, uh, somebody that's never hunted before. So just having that experience, uh, a youth or a first time hunter, they shoot anything that they want and, you know, they're tickled to death. And I am too. I'm, I'm more excited than they are most of the time. Uh, for me, I, I love hunting. I would love to sit with my son or somebody else and watch them shoot deer all day. Mm. Uh, I don't have to shoot one anymore. I just, I'm satisfied with that. That's a great point. You talk about giving back to uh, people and, and sharing, and that's a big thing. It's a, it's kind of like a, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of like just this need or this pull that you have when you have something like that to give back. I kind of want to put a bookmark in that for just a second in this conversation, and I'd kind of like to circle back as you are talking about um, spraying invasives and you're hooking a grain drill up. So uh, I guess first and foremost, you're hooking a grain drill up. What's uh, What kind of plans do you have to mold the landscape this fall? Well, tomorrow... With rain coming, of course, Pennsylvania's been a drought with a lot of the country, I think. Mm. Uh, but it's been bad. So this year, I, I mixed it up a little bit, going zero fertilizers, zero herbicides. I, I sprayed nothing this year other than invasives. But my food plots, I haven't done anything other than, you know, I planted rye or, or winter wheat last year and some triticale in the one plot. Mixing it up, having fun. And... uh just experimenting a little bit. Typically, uh, uh, it was monocultures, you know, turnips, radish, uh, clover plots. This Plum year, hill. yeah, yeah, we were in the, you know, rototilling or discing, and mm. this is our second year going zero no-till. We're 100% no-till yeah. this year. So about 15 acres of food plots is what we've, we've been doing. Um, of course, diesel fuel prices, Roundup prices, everything is through the roof. And, you know, you're trying to save money. This is a hobby. It's not a, we're not making a living from it. So, um, we experimented with usually typically back 40 seed company. They're a local company out of Duncansville, PA. 
Um, but this year we use their uh, rescue blend, which is just a uh, it's a mixture. It has crimson, it has uh, buckwheat, has some sorghum, you know, different things, yeah. a few things. We've got Vitalized Seed Company. We uh, use their oh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the names of all this stuff. Uh, but what we're going to put in, it's called Carbon Load. And uh, there's triticale, wheat, forged peas, winter rye, oats, buckwheat, hairy fetch, crimson clover, red clover. There's like 15 different turnips and radishes. It's it's, it's a pretty good mix. Uh, now, those so are mixed that you with, planted some in the spring, or you're going to be planting some of those tomorrow? Tomorrow. Tomorrow is vitalized seed carbon load we're going to okay. be putting in the ground. Um, in the spring, we put in the rescue mix. Um uh, we, we experimented with some flax, which we listened to Jason Snavely's uh, Drop Time Seed podcast there for a while. And that's what kind of got us hooked, uh, driving to work, you know, in 40, 40 minutes every day, listening to podcasts whenever I, all the time, to and from work. So I could go through some podcasts. And then you start getting hooked on this soil health kick. So... You know, I, I was fortunate enough, I was able to get, my wife got me for my 50th birthday, a, you know, I got a Great Plains 606NT, so, you know, we pretty much, I still have a disc, I still have a rototiller, I have, still have all that stuff, which I'm trying not to use. Um, you we, know, we haven't really even, the only time we move it is to move it out yeah, of the way. Yeah, so. you know, you can never have a big enough shed or, uh, you know, a garage to store everything, because I got some things setting out in the weeds, and you try to keep it covered. But Well, you know, the minute you build a bigger shed, you just put more stuff in it. <laughs> correct, correct. My wife is has to be a saint because she's like, what are you buying now? And it's like, oh, it's, you know, you just kind of mumble and, you know, try to scoot on out of the house before she sees you. So uh, she sees that, you know, the bank accounts went down a couple thousand bucks. But uh, <laughs> but it's all it's all in good legacy. You know, you talked about uh, soil health. You know, that's that's something that's very near and dear to me. As many people who have listened to this podcast and heard me ramble about food plots and soil health and stuff like that. Um, you know, just today at work, um, I have a, a grower in particular. It's uh, it's about a 3,500-acre operation, mixed corn, soybeans, wheat, sorghum barley you know they, they, they've got a, a pretty diverse crop rotation and uh, we're, we're trying to figure out how we can keep their farm profitable yet reduce their chemical loading reduce their fertilizer loading and and just try to be as profitable as possible without the need for some of these things that you're talking about without the need of uh, tillage which is going to be destroying certain aspects of soil health and one of the things we were doing today with this grower uh, we were actually doing soil infiltration tests and we took a, a six inch pipe and hammered that into the soil about three inches and measured an inch of rain for that circumference of pipe and uh, checked the timing to see how long it would take for an inch of water to, you know, completely infiltrate through that soil. And when you're talking about stuff that even though this is no-till soil, but it's uh, it's cash crops, it's summer annual crops, corn, soybeans, wheat, um, and, and you only have that... 
you start to see it, your soil plateau. And, you know, some of the things I was seeing that you guys do and some of the things that I have other growers do uh, were very, very similar in which you were letting that fall blend get to um, get to a, a high mature height and planting through that with no-till practices and such. And that was some of the stuff you would have done uh, this spring. And I, I think you're going to see some really, really cool things happen not just in your soil but you'll also see some really really cool stuff within the wildlife around it maybe you already have i'm kind of curious when you talk about um, planting now so do you have um, like a certain rotation throughout the 15 acres on your property that you you're you're trying to work towards is it kind of uh if the shoe fits that year that's what we're going to plant um, are, and you said you weren't using herbicides. How are you kind of managing this fall planting throughout your property? Is it kind of similar throughout all that 15 acres, or is there some differences going on? Well, it, you know, soil types throughout. I got one spot that, you know, I go anywhere from like a lower, uh, like a nice loamy, deep, rich soil to like a uh, red clay. clay, just yeah, water would sit on top of it. And the, the biggest thing with going with no herbicide, no no fertilizer is you're not gonna don't expect to see those you know five pound radishes like everyone. Like I've done the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. with a monoculture throwing a ton of fertilizer down, and uh, you're not gonna see that. You're gonna see small little uh, you know little plants growing. But last fall we. Pretty much all of our plots, we went winter, we put rye. Yeah. A lot of the plots, we went some triticale, uh, some wheat in the fall. And then this spring, so I have a roller crimper also. So we, we roller crimped some plots, but the interesting thing is my couple of the plots that I drilled soybeans in this year, the rye is still, it's, you know, it's ready to be if you were going to harvest it. Um, it's still standing, but the deer are in there bedded down. In a rye, you'll go up past and you'll kick a deer or two out. But they're laying, they're bedded down in that rye, just sitting there eating. There's, uh, soybeans. There's some, uh, hairy vets. We put some hairy vets. Yeah. We put some, um, we mixed it up. There's some clover in there. Some just, yeah, some, just trying to keep the soil, you know, that's the soil health thing is keep the soil covered. So armor the soil. So we threw it all in there and the deer are in there bedded down. The turkeys go in. They're picking grasshoppers and bugs out of that stuff. It, it's pretty cool whenever you think of it that way and not looking at it as a, you know, uh, like a mowed lawn almost. Yeah, you, you can't picture it as, a, as that. You have to picture it as it's nature and there's some ragweed in there, which a deer will eat. You know, yeah. granted, there's some, you know, there's some weeds in there that the deer aren't going to eat probably, but it, for the most part, it looks pretty good. Really cool. So I I think based on what I'm saying, it's it's pretty safe to say um, through this conversation that you've seen the attraction of your property for all wildlife increase uh, the more you have dabbled in some of these practices. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. You know, I ha- I have honeybees, so we we planted flowers, and uh, you know, it's it's not just about it's not just about the deer it's about everything everything we've uh we've seen a growth in uh gray fox that we haven't seen for a long time and we see two or three a year they stay up here and 
last year I seen in their scat that they're eating some of our um um what's it called? The mice? Sorghum. Some of our sorghum. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Yep. Parts of the sorghum and their scat and it's just not all about the deer. It's everything. Birds, the bees, the foxes, mice even. Anything. Makes for an enjoyable experience whenever you step foot onto that piece of property, that's for sure. Um, I'm yeah. kind of curious, you know, you're somebody who's, you you've guys have posted a bunch of stuff you've done, you've tried this, you've tried that, and you're always tinkering. You know, we, you and I have both admitted to each other that we definitely don't have this all figured out, but it's a constant learning experience. So I'm curious yep. in this, this pretty long process from uh, mid to late 90s up until 2022, there had to have been some specific things that you learned by the school of hard knocks you're like man i wish i wouldn't have did like oh in that course of time what are some things that stand out in your mind as man i wish i would have not made this mistake or or this was such a mistake or i should have done it this way is there anything and is there anything specific that stands out whether that's specific plant species equipment and the way you did stuff i mean you know what comes to mind the 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 one thing that I'm glad I'm away from is we we were rototilling and uh, we would we did that's when I had one acre plot maybe two acres yeah. and that was max and that was a lot and that's that's a lot to do with a you know a four foot or six foot rototiller and uh, so we'd rototill and I would I would go back through and you know either Tanner or myself would be picking rocks throw them in the bucket as we're walking along rototilling dusty you know and or and then after that we'd take an old bed spring and yeah yep and we would and then we would go back through and it would rain and we'd roadkill it again and do it two three times well the worst thing that we ever did was do that because we had the we we planted our you know i think it was turnips and radishes that year mm-hmm. we we put all the fertilizer down that it needed and we had the nastiest batch of pigweed come up that is just mm-hmm. overtook everything and we would spray it and uh we planted something else and we were ended up we ended up getting a decent turnip crop out of that but the next year some of the i missed some you know and, and it was a constant fight so that was the worst thing we ever did was you're tilling 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 and i believe i read that pigweed seed takes like a flash of light to uh germinate so you're that seeds in the seed bed and you're tilling it up, and it sees a flash of light as it went under, and then it's it's germinating. So it's it's tough. So a lot of chemicals the last next couple of years to try to kill it. I Spot bet, spraying at that point. Yeah, for sure. I've been there myself, and that's you hit the nail on the head there. Pigweed does not take a lot to uh, to go, and if you give it a clean seed bed, it's pretty vigorous. But what I have found and mm-hmm. quite amazing is. Uh, when you reverse those roles and you start, um, you know, pigweed's a summer annual. So, you know, you plant yeah. um, in uh, mid-May when the soil temperature's getting 60 degrees above that. That's about when pigweeds are going to start to germinate. And they'll germinate all the way, you know, up until we're speaking here now, the end of July, into August they'll germinate. And then they start to, to wean off in their germination. So, you know, if you were planting turnips, I'm assuming... You know, maybe right about now, you know, you could easily have some some pigweeds uh, germinate and out-compete that. But what's amazing is, you know, let's let's 
backtrack a few months when you're planting in May and June, uh, whether you're, you know, whatever that species is you're planting, you're planting through your carbon mix, which your carbon mix is wheat that was planted the, the fall before, the rye, the triticale, all those um, overwintering plants that stay green and standing. Um, it's amazing how they will shade and outcompete that young pigweed and allow you to put your grain drill or your corn planter or whatever piece of equipment right through that and that furrow just pops those seeds right out. It's, it's quite amazing how the roles reverse when you allow plants to do what they were naturally designed to do. Mm-hmm. And, and granted, you know, not everyone has a grain drill or no-till drill. So, you know, sometimes it's you have to, you know, get that as long as you get that seed to soil contact somehow. But, you know, it, by all means, if you have to till, you know, there again, we went to the extreme where we thought, well, we'll till it once. It starts to green up. We'll till it again, pick rocks as we go. That was the mistake. We brought them up somewhere. And it's amazing. Uh, I still, to this day, will run into plenty of people who, you know, swear by tilling and have had good experiences. And what I've found a lot of times in food plot experiences is, let's say you take an open piece of land, um, whatever that is, just fallow land, and you think, man, I could put a food plot here. And, of course, you know, a lot of people think that the first thing you got to do is till. Maybe it's a, that's a disc or a chisel or a rototill or something like that. And I find that the first year that you do that, run that through and plant a food plot, as long as the rainfall is adequate, man, you could have a beautiful food plot. It's, it's, it's like amazing. Like you get that instant gratification because um, you, you spin that dirt up and advance all that microbial activity and mix all that you know, manure, so to speak, all that plant matter on top. And uh, you can have a, a really beautiful food plot. But you know what you're describing of tilling it over and over and over again what you find is you are exposing more dirt than you are plant matter throughout a good part of the growing season and you lose um all that soil aggregation and all the all the good stuff that helps plants grow in the first place so uh big night and day difference there right and there again that was that was before all the the you know quote soil health kick has really you know, taking effect and everybody's into it anymore. You know, it's the buckwheat and, you know, rolling over the buckwheat and broadcasting into it before you roll it over. So that, that's the big thing. And that, and that's, it's good. It's, it's fun. Um, you know, okay, this year we did that. Oh, well, it didn't work. Well, we'll try something different next year. So it's, it's learn from your mistakes and, and have fun doing it. Don't go, well, I got some weeds in there. I got some grasses in there. Well, that's, that's okay. You know, just have fun with it. The deer don't care what it looks like. Sure, sure. So um, I kind of want to go back um, earlier in a conversation. We were talking about, you know, sharing and stuff. And I uh, I have a way I want to kind of go into that. But it, it kind of leads in off of our soil health kick. So, you know, you listen to uh, you listen to podcasts, videos, you know, what have you. And there's this giant talk about soil health. And, you know, it's something that you and I share a passion for, Mike. But, you know, there's probably a lot of people out there that get to a point where it's like, all right, I have enough talking about soil health. How in the world does this relate to me going out and shooting deer or, or accomplishing my goals in, in during the hunting season? How does that relate to a strategy? And I'm kind of curious, um, 
as you guys kind of mold your strategy for this fall, do you guys or or have you come up with some little strategies that you found really, really work on your property that make you successful for, at some point during the hunting season, um, whether that's um, for your own personal endeavors or bringing somebody onto the farm and sharing that with them? You know, I, for me, like I have one, one particular blind that I like to sit in and um, that is, it's, uh, it's overlooked like a two and a half acre food plot um, that the blind is in. It's an elevated ground blind, homemade, but then in the front there's possibly an acre. Pennsylvania, whenever they start the first shot in the morning, them deer are running for their lives pretty much all day long. And towards the evening after the shots start dying down, that's, you know, they, they start to feel a little bit relaxed and they start, you know, they're, they're moseying on out into these bigger food plots where you got time and, it, and having a kid in a, in a box blind where, you know, granted, if it's not like when I grew up, you sat outside, you, you walked in with big uh, felt pack boots and your, your feet sweat. And, um, when you sat down and then your feet froze, you know, there was no, none of this good clothes like like we have today back mm. then and then your dad your dad yelled at you because you uh you weren't sitting still but your feet were froze <laughs> but so now you know we we sit in these elevated ground blinds we've got a heater you know they can play on their phone a little bit but these deer are coming out and they're walking and they're slow you know they're 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 alert but they're they're calm and they're coming out to feed so you can you can sit there and coach this kid okay take your time and and if you talk to him the whole time you know Slowly, you want them, yes. Slowly, slowly squeeze the trigger. And that that moment for me to bring somebody out, uh, you know, I, I lived, my son, he shot a deer almost every year. And, uh, you know, I lived a lot of those memories. And now he's old enough that he goes by himself. So you'll sit in a blind, you'll hear him shoot over the hill. And you're, you wish you were there, but you're having fun with somebody else. So it's all, it's, it's, the heritage of Pennsylvania deer hunting, uh, you know, whether you like the game commission or not, it's, it's still, it's, it's, it's an awesome experience to live. Oh, without a doubt. And, uh, I, I guess, you know, you, uh, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you're the, you said you're the president of your chapter in the QDMA. Is that the, your local, your That's local chapter? Gotcha. So That's you correct. Know, you, you've it's got the West, West Central. Gotcha. I'm sorry. Yeah, so you've got that uh, that connection there, um, and, and some some influence there, and you're working on your property. So, tell me a little bit about bringing some people onto your your property, and like you just bringing a lot of friends and family, or or do you have people? You know, one of the things I've experienced on on private land, if if it's something that you have or somebody that you know a loved one has, is you get a lot of pressure to be asked to come out and stuff. So like. How do you manage that? But at the same time, um, tell me some positive experiences you've had the past few years in, in doing that. You know, yeah, so you're right. So you get everybody asking you typically, you know, anywhere from two weeks before hunting season to the, I've had them last to, night. Yeah, yeah, to the day of, the day before rifle season. And, you know, over the years, you know, you let them come. And then after a while, when you start putting, you're putting all this money in your time, no one comes. And, and after they shoot a deer and they're like, Oh yeah, I'll be out next year. You know, I'll help you. I promise you. Well, then I finally got to the point where it's like, okay, after Labor Day, 
nobody's coming. If they ain't, they ain't here to help. Everyone always says, oh, you should have called me. Well, you, you know my number like oh, two weeks before hunting season. How about, uh, you know, you, you just call me. It's like, what do you need done? So I just set a date and if no one comes and helps me, then, then they don't come and I don't allow them to come. Uh, but if I can find a youth hunter uh, that I could bring out, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's just like I was when I was 12 years old and just shaking. And that to me anymore, that's me shooting a 200 inch deer. That is that much excitement for me. And I, I'll take lots of pictures. Um, you know, hopefully dad's there, but I brought kids out over the years and I made them, you know, back when we were tilling, pick, pick rocks, you know, help me cut some brush. Um, you know, so you make, you make those kids work and they, and they work for that. And it's not to uh, benefit me in any way, but it's just to show them. Uh, it, it would just be like helping a farmer. You know, you go help a farmer. Nobody does anymore for free. Um, stack hay bales. Nobody yeah. does that. Um, but the farmer would let you do anything on his property if you helped him do that. You know, it's just, it's the society anymore. Everyone kind of stands there and wants everything for free. Yeah, I don't know how that happened along the way. It's there's there's definitely a lot of differences in our society for sure. But let's uh, let's not go down the rabbit hole of the negatives in society <laughs> because we could probably be on this conversation for a lot longer than we are. Let's stay on the positives. And I'm curious yep. if if there's but like if you guys have just a story in mind of a youth hunter coming out and just having a fantastic experience. It's just one of those stories that you would love to retell over and over again. Oh, so, well, this year, and it was, um, I, I, I was looking for a youth hunter. Um, it was junior season, turkey season this year. He never, uh, boy's name was Tyler. His dad didn't turkey hunt. And, uh, I, I met his mom at the conservation district. And, um, so I'm looking for a youth hunter. And, oh, my son would love to. So, um, I brought him out like two weeks prior, I believe it was, and I had trees to plant. So we were walk, we walked, Pretty much all day, and I was worn out. The kid's 11 years old, I believe, 10 or 11. I think 10. And, uh, oh, yeah, he just, he was 12. Yeah. So we worked with the dibble bar. We carried trees, and we planted, you know, 100 trees. Just, and, you know, I'm 50 years old, so that that's a lot of trees we plant with the dibble bar anymore. So um, I told him, you know, I promised him I'll bring you out turkey hunt. So the junior turkey season, you know, we, we sit up in a place that's always good, an old gas well and they usually come in and strut. So we're sitting there in the morning and, and nothing is gobbling. I'm thinking, this is, why does this always happen? You, every other day they're sitting there just gobbling their head off in that same spot. And, um, so we're sitting there and nothing. And then the hen, hen landed and you could hear her yelping and, uh, she was in front of us and I just did a couple clocks and all of a sudden to my right, three red heads come running in and, um, they started like it was a Jake decoy out there and they were three Jakes, but he shot that one and I just hoot and hollered and, and, uh, it just dropped to the ground. I was so, I was excited as he was, he was shaking. Um, but to me that, 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 that was everything. It was like, it was a, it doesn't matter whether it was a Jake or not, but it was, he was so excited his first Turkey. I was excited that it worked out. Um, it, just that, I, I don't know. It's just like if you ever shot a deer, your first deer, your first Turkey, to me, I, I live that every time that happens with a youth. 
Mm-hmm. You know, podcasts um, have revolved around, it seems, though, as many podcast shows have revolved around um, the chase of the biggest buck, the chase of the biggest goblet, the the chase of the the best and and being the top elite that you can be. And um, I'm not going to act like I'm no different, man. My goal each and every fall for my personal goal is to try to shoot the best buck that I possibly can. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a lot of us that are like that. But at the same time, you know, we had some conversations here with some other people recently. Um, two that come to my mind would have been Jared Renninger of the One Wish Foundation and Corey Golvis, um, who are both avid, avid hunters. But, you know, they talk about so much more than just the kill. It's the it's the pursuit and it's the sharing it with as many people. And that's ultimately why we love outdoors and the outdoor creation because it brings us together in so many ways Mm -hmm. absolutely you know and you know you you think back to when you were a kid and you know excitement in your dad's eyes or your mom's eyes or whoever whomever took you hunting back then you know just that excitement and that's what i live for anymore and i could do that every day that's my goal and that's a great goal to have you know um there's uh, there's there's a ton of stuff that you post on your Instagram page. You know, if you're tinkering with this and tinkering with that, um, you know, I'm kind of curious. Um, you know, do you have anything that uh, you'd like to just share with anybody that's listening, as far as a- anything in the whole scope of things that we've talked about tonight, from manipulating stuff and property, just hunting, or to just hunting experience and and things of that nature. I mean, you definitely want food, water, and shelter for deer. You know, if you got water, hopefully it's like towards the center of your property. Uh, food, you know, we try to keep it close, not on the borders of the property, but you know, we do. Um, shelter, you know, if you look through a woods, like if you're up in the Allegheny National Forest and you can see the, through the woods for 100 yards, that's not good. You know, you need to get a consultant, get a timber uh, forester out there. You know, typically you can get one, um, get, get a hold of your NRCS or DCNR and come out and look and tell you every tree isn't worth $10,000. So, you know, there's too many people that you go on their property and you look at the timber and like, that's all junk. You know, it's crooked cherries and maples and they think they got a gold mine. What's well, junk? And I've, I, I did the same thing. Um, so the best thing you can, you could do is fire up your chainsaw in the, in the spring and, um, start cutting and, uh, watch for invasives, keep invasives under control and, uh, have fun. You know, bring a kid out, you know, not with a chainsaw, but, you know, get your buddies out there, have the kids drag the tops and make, Brush pile for rabbits and, you know, just enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. That's the main yep. point right there. Yep. Sit down and have a, have a drink and tell stories to the kids and make them laugh. That's, that's what it's all about. <laughs> for sure. You, know, you brought up about having kids with chainsaws. I'm trying to think about how young I was the first time I started running chainsaws. Probably <laughs> a lot younger than I should have been. I, I feel like I was somewhere in that 12 to 14 year old range when I was running a chainsaw. Probably shouldn't have been, but you know. Um, and, 
Yeah, go ahead. I bet you I bet you didn't have chaps or a helmet on either. Oh no, 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 no. I did have yep. ear I did have hearing protection on though. And I had gloves okay. on, so I guess I I guess I get like a twenty percent out of the test, so something like that. <laughs> right. Right. But hey, I uh I really appreciate you guys coming on. I appreciate you sharing your experiences, sharing your, your overall passion of uh of your your property um before we let you go tell me uh tell me about your instagram page tell me where people can follow some of the stuff you guys are always you know tinkering with and learning yeah you can follow us on instagram or or facebook it's pa plotters that's that's pretty much it good so, deal just having good fun deal. and uh you know take somebody else out hunting and enjoy it Remember, it's not ours. It's just our turn. That's that's the key. I love that statement, and I am definitely going to steal that from you and use it in the future. Well, that's uh, that's you, you need to follow him. I'll shoot you a message after this. This is over, but yeah, he's uh, he's a great dude to follow us. Good deal, uh, Doug Duran, I believe. Yep, yep. So. Guys, uh, again, I appreciate your time and chatting with us, and I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing about the success stories you have in the fall, whether that's the two of you guys or that's somebody that comes out and just uh, gets to enjoy the property that you've transformed from uh, a biological desert to something that wildlife want to spend time on and and enjoy because they've got the food, water, and cover they need. So, guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Yep.